Welcome to this edition of the Athletics Pit Podcast. I'm Jordan Klein. So first, we're recording this on Thursday, but I want to just touch on the big news that happened on Tuesday for Pitt basketball. Jeff Capel lands the commitment of four-star top 75 recruit William Jeffress. It's a huge commitment for him. It's a program changer. I'm going to elaborate more and talk more in-depth about the about Jeffrey's commitment later. But first, before we talk about recruiting, we're going to talk about football recruiting later also. But before that, we're joined by former Pitt quarterback, three-year starter, also a three-year captain, Tyler Palco. I spoke to Tyler on Tuesday about a variety of topics, and we've got some great stuff from him. So here is Tyler Palco. Tyler Palco. Tyler, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you once again for joining us. So you graduated Pitt in 2006. So after that, I know you played in the NFL a few years, and now you've made the transition to the business world. So how about you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days? Yeah, uh, appreciate that, Jordan. Um, so uh, I had had the opportunity to, you know, obviously live a childhood dream, Um Played uh, for six years, two for the Saints, one for the Cardinals and the Steelers, and then um, two for the Chiefs. So um, I, uh, you know, had had the chance to, you know, live my childhood dream, and um, you know, had had a, started a couple games there in the NFL, and and um, you know, thought that you know that it was going to last a little bit longer, but um, they they call it not for long uh, as the acronym, and and I had to to decide what I wanted to do. Um, you know, to put the, uh, my degree to use. And, and uh, I got a chance to um, do a little, uh, a couple internships when I played in the NFL um, and, uh, you know, to kind of prepare myself to figure out what I wanted to do or didn't want to do. And um, it kind of led me to Solutions 21, which is a Pittsburgh-based consulting company. We have locations and four, lo- four location or four offices right now, uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, Nashville, and Phoenix. And, um, you know, our primary focus is uh, around the privately held mid-market um, businesses all around the world. We have clients, um, you know, in, in a couple of different countries. So um, we're, we're a, you know, a boutique consulting company that focuses on uh, leadership development, strategic planning, and succession planning. So, you know, long-winded way of saying we um, have a couple of uh, customized programs that we've developed and we work with their clients and help them build their bench strength and, um, and their strategic plans to make sure that they're operating at, you know, optimum efficiency. So the one constant throughout your whole life, whether it's on the football field or now in the business world has been leadership. You were three-time captain at Pitt, which that has to be some sort of record. And now you work in leadership consulting. So as someone who has so much experience with leadership and who is such a great leader on the football field, what does leadership mean to you and how do you value being in a leadership role? Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things, uh, Jordan. I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, leadership, whether it's on the field, um, you know, in battle in the military or in the business world, you know, or quite frankly, at, at, at home with, with your family, I think it's it's important in, in those settings, uh, the ones that um, constantly work on it and realize that leadership's not a destination and it's it's a it's an ongoing process. They're they're always um, somehow, some way, way more successful than the ones that don't. And um, you know, it's a it's an ongoing thing. Leadership is a is is a constant. 
and if you're not continuing to sharpen your saw um, and, 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 and continuing to work on it, you know, it, it's, it's going to dwindle just like, you know, the skill sets that you, you find on, on the athletic field um, or frankly being a parent or in the military. So, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's important to me. I, I experienced it and saw the value of, of what good leadership um, does. And, you know, unfortunately I was around, you know, some, some examples of what poor leadership does to a team. And um, I was always intrigued about the business world. Um, and I was able to link, you know, something that I was really good at with, um, you know, what I wanted to do for a living. So um, we're, we're really helping organizations, um, you know, build their, their, their leadership um, within uh, all levels at, at, you know, the highest all the way down to, to kind of first time leaders. So it's, it's something that, that I'm very passionate about. We're really good at as an organization. Um, and, you know, you're, you're seeing some of the byproducts of what good leadership and poor leadership uh, looks like, you know, in times of crisis, uh, with mm-hmm. what, you know, unfortunately with what we're dealing with right now. So for you personally, you said that, you just said that leadership, it's not something that you can just have. You have to keep working and refining it. So for you, you're the son of you're the son of a coach, which probably contributed to that. But where do you think your leadership came from? Well, yeah, I think you make a really good point. Um, you know, the we our belief now, you know, doesn't make us right, but it's just what we believe is that, you know, leaders are 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 made, not born, right? There, you don't wake up one day out of your, you know, when, when you're born and you know have this leadership gene. You know, you could be predisposed to it, you know, like I was from, you know, but that didn't guarantee that I was going to be a good leader. You have to constantly foster it and develop it and, and learn how to adapt and change and, and do all those types of things. Um, but I, th- I think it comes, you know, a lot of times in, in athletics, it comes from, you know, just, you know, the ability of want, wanting to win, right? And, and, and on the athletic surface, it's, you know, you, you, you want to get your followers to, you know, to follow you, like you, you, you know, because you, you want to win and you know, that's, it's, it's all part of a team. And then in the business world, sometimes I think we see is there's, you know, just because you have a title for something like it would be the equivalent of just because you're a quarterback means that you should be the captain. Right. And, and I think in the business world, well, we, we, we kind of put titles in there for people and assume that just by osmosis that they're going to be a good leader. And, um, you know, I think that that's, you know, why, why we have a job, quite frankly. And, and I think that it's where we, where we can really accelerate organizations ability to develop good leaders um, because you can never have enough of them. Right. I don't coach CEO um, or military officer says we have too many good leaders. We have too many good mm-hmm. players. So um, I think that, that that's probably a good a good starting point. Yeah, the thing about wanting to win is very similar. I spoke to former Pitt point guard Trey Woodall last week. So it's just I hear some very similar stuff about leadership, just the desire to win and then that translating into leadership. So on like a team success note, how important do you think your leadership was to the success of Pitt during those years as when you were the quarterback? Well, I- you know, again, Trey, Trey was a good one. Um, you know, I got a chance to watch him. He, um, he, he was, he was a good, good leader on, on, on the court. So, um, I think he makes a couple of great points. Um, one of the things I I would say is that everyone has their own leadership style. Um, you know, there's not like a, 
you don't look up leader in a dictionary and see this avatar. Uh, everybody has their own style. We break it down into to, to kind of four separate quadrants of what kind of style you you have, right? And that's just inherently like who you are as a person. Um, and there's just different ways. First of all, you have to understand like how you like to be led, how you like to be communicated to. And, and part of being a leader is, is making sure that your followers follow you. Like, you know, by definition, leaders have followers. And if you don't have followers, then you, you're not a leader. So all, all of those little things that we work on, um, with, with our clients are, you know, starting with self and understanding who you are as a person and how you like to be communicated to and what your tendencies are no different than breaking down film. And then, you know, how you get communicate to others, like what buttons do you push? And that's no different than being in the huddle. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that a lot of times I was a, a very dominant, like, just give me the ball, get out of the way type of person naturally. But you know, there are guys in the huddle that you need to yell at. There are guys in the huddle that you need to pat on the butt. There are guys in the huddle that, that are kind of somewhere in between that you need to give them a step-by-step -step process and the effectiveness in which great leaders are able to, to do that um, is, is, you know, get, separates them from the pack, right? So you constantly have to work on that. And, and as a, as a leader on, on that team, you know, I, I was who I was, I mean, that's, you have to be who you are, um, but you also have to learn to adapt to your surroundings. And at, at that time, you know, I was a young kid in 2004. I, you know, my, my first year starting and I had to earn my stripes, right? So a lot of the stuff that I had to say, I had to recognize it wasn't what I said, it was how I acted, right? And how I worked, right? So you have to earn those types of, um, you know, stripes before voice, mm -hmm. right? Or like you're, you're the vocally being able to, so, so I think that's important. Yeah, just being able to talk to your teammates in different ways. And that's super important. Just the best teams are always led by their players, I think, is one common theme I've seen throughout all the time I've been watching and following sports. So speaking of that 2004 season, your first season as, as the starting quarterback, one of people's most one of people's mo best memories from that season is your post-game interview against Notre Dame after a big win at Notre Dame Stadium. Um, we're trying to keep it PG on this podcast, so I'm not going to say exactly what you said. <laughs> but during that interview, I mean, you were obviously pretty fired up. So just what was going through your mind during that moment? Well, I mean, you know, obviously that's not something I'm proud of. I mean, you don't want, you know, your your kids or your grandma or your mom to see you cuss on national television. But, you know, I, I always, when dealing with the media, was always very – honest and direct and, and, and pretty, excuse me, organic. Um, and it was a big win. Um, you know, I, I let my emotions get the best of me and, and quite frankly, from a leadership learning opportunity that that's something that I had to learn how to control my emotions. Right. So, you know, that, that they're always constantly learning. Um, but it was a, it was a cool organic, just like, you know, just pure emotional reaction to our team. Um, and I, 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 I was extremely proud of them. I won't, I'll keep it PG and, uh, but, but it was, it was a great win. Right. And, 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 you know, I just was so excited for my teammates and the university and, you know, we hadn't won up there since, since Tony Dorsett. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a big win. And, um, you know, I let my emotions get the best of me, which as a young, young kid, you, you, you don't have all the tools in your tool, tool belt to learn how to deal with it, but 
um, you know, we recovered. I, I apologized and um, I thought I handled it uh, appropriately, but, but it was a, it was a great, great moment for the university, um, you know, the win. Um, and, you know, you just saw what sports is all about, right? Yeah. And um, it was raw and it was, it was a pretty cool um, experience. So one thing about, about that raw motion, I know you said it could be viewed as negative from a, like a leadership standpoint, but the way I view it, way I viewed it when I watched that, when I've watched that on YouTube, I see that and I go, I want to run through a wall with that guy, with that, with your passion, your commitment. I, I think to myself, if I was on the field with that guy, I would want to run through a wall for him and with him. So how do you think, that reflected on your teammates just in terms of your leadership and your passion and your commitment to the team? Well, you, you bring up a lot of good points, right? Um, you know, when you're in college, you're young. Um, and, and that stuff is viewed from your teammates standpoint as really cool. And man, that, you know, very much like, like, like you said, um, you know, so there's a difference between, you know, being, emotional and, and from a leadership standpoint, being smart and, and, and professional. And, and those are all learning opportunities. And, and, you know, those are things that I, that I implement today and we work with our clients with is that, you know, you can still be excited and happy and raw. And, and, and if I was that emotional, but didn't allow that, that emotion to get the best of me, you know, it, it still would have been exciting. And it still would have been, it's just, you know, those types of things that you learn, right? And it's not that it's bad. Um, it happened, you learn from it and you move on, but you know, th those, those things, um, you know, affected me in a, in a positive way to, to kind of the work that we're doing today. But, but it was, it was really cool, um, you know, to be able to look back on it and, and be able to be a little bit embarrassed, but also at the same, in the same sense, like, man, that, that's why we sign up for sports, right? You know, to, to have the ball in the last minute at Notre Dame Stadium and 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 against a big rival and 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 you win, right? So yeah, um, that's the moment that we all we've all envisioned moments like that just in our backyard as a kid, and for you to have that come true, it must be just an amazing feeling. Yeah. Cool. So about that. So what was the aftermath of that? Like, what was Walt Harris's reaction? What were your other coaches, maybe some people in the athletic department? What, what was their reaction to hearing that? Yeah. Well, I'll keep it short, but, you know, obviously, as you can imagine, you know, there were some less than appropriate emails that I received on behalf of the, the Golden Domers, but which is to be expected. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I walked off the field and I saw my, my sports information director, EJ Brigetti, and I said, EJ, uh, we're walking off the field. And I said, man, I think I screwed up. And he goes, why? I said, eh, I think I, I, th I think I cussed um, in the interview. And I've, I've said, you know, damn, and, you know, some other choice words that weren't as bad as the one that I said. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, like, I, you know, that that's fine. Like, he just assumed that it was going to be a, a, a less than – derogative term than the one that I used. So I, he was like, Oh, you're fine. So I walked in the locker room, celebrated with the teammate, my teammates. And, um, you know, was, was the last one to come out of the locker room. And when I got out of the shower, you know, our AD and our head coach and our sports information director were, were like standing by my locker, staring a hole right through my face. And, you know, I, I, I see you're like, well, what? I said, I warned you. They're, you know, well, you didn't tell me you said that. And I said, well, you didn't ask. So, 
anyway, um, you know, as you can imagine, you know, you you have to, um, you know, issue a statement. And I wanted to be the one to stand in front of the media and apologize, you know, organically and say, hey, look, this is not who I am. I apologize. And emotions got the best of me. So I wanted to handle it professionally. And um, but, yeah, it was it was kind of funny where, you know, you you, you, you like get in trouble and you say, you did this and you're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And then you, 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 they, your parents find out actually what happened and then you get yelled at. So that's, that's yeah, kind of how we've that, all, that's, we've that's, all been in those situations. <laughs> so how about, so that moment, I mean, we still talk about it, what, 16 years later. So what, what does, what's the app, the long-term aftermath of that like for you? So do people still come up to you about that moment or is it? Well, first, first of all, you made me just feel really old at that moment. <laughs> uh, of, of referencing 16 years. Um, you know, my mind, it was like last week. Um, but, but, um, I, th- I think the, the, you know, because of social media and because of YouTube and all those things, I, you know, I, you, 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 you essentially are branded that way. So I, I've been on the golf course, I've been on airports, I've been in, in, in sales calls and boardrooms with, with executives that, that bring it up. And, you know, obviously, I think you know as time has passed, it's you know it's kind of a funny little hey, this is the guy who, you know, threw five touchdown passes and then acted like a knucklehead on on TV. But um, you know, people still remember, it and it and it's cool. It's cool to be part of history, right? Uh, you know, however uh, infamous or famous it is, um, you know, it, it's still cool to be a part of pit football history and. And that's, you, you want to leave your lasting, you know, your legacy, you want to leave your mark. And, 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 you know, we, that team, that 2004 team did. Yeah. So all these years later, have you ever had a Notre Dame man come up to you about that interview or are they, do you think they're mostly <laughs> past that? No, the, the Golden Domers still have a little, little, uh, you know, spur up their boot on that. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all in good fun. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think that, I think the, the 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 frustration and hatred toward that has kind of passed, and it's it's more a pretty cool talking. Yeah, point. it's. I have some friends who are Notre Dame fans, and he, I mean, we're we're younger, so we don't really remember that moment. But I, I still talk about. I've I've brought it up to him, and let's say he. And the, at first, he wasn't very happy about it. So I, I decided not to bring it up again, just to keep him happy. So another thing, piggybacking off off what you just said. So I want to talk about overall that 2004 season, the Fiesta Bowl season. So you had a tough start, lost to Nebraska and UConn. You needed overtime to beat Furman. But then all of a sudden, it was just like a button click, just a light bulb went off with that team. You guys won, I believe it was like seven of your last eight games. So what what do you think changed mm-hmm. in that season? Uh a lot of it had to do with me. I mean, I, I think that, that, uh, I, I've never been one to, uh, learn the easy way. Um, I've usually pretty hard headed and had to take some lumps, um, and figure it out. Um, you know, being a first time starter. So I think that, that me kind of getting my, my legs underneath me and, and getting my teammates to trust me and getting them to, to buy into, you know, the type of player that I was, was, you know, part of it, I think a lot of it was, was me being hardheaded and learning how to be a starter and be a, a college quarterback and, um, you know, pay attention to some of the things that, that I got away with in high school that, that quite frankly, I, I didn't in, in college. So, 
um, you know, the learning curve was pretty steep, but, you know, I think that a lot of it had to do with, with me recognizing that I had to, to trust my teammates more and I didn't have to win the game by myself. And I had to trust my coaches and, and, you know, we, it clicked. And, um, you know, once it clicks as an athlete, you kind of get into that, that point where, you know, when you have a high level of confidence, you, 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 you play pretty fast and, you know, that's what, what I'm, you know, I, I probably attribute a lot to that was, was me stopping, stopping, trying to be a, you know, to do it all on my own. Yeah. Just trusting your teammates. So after that season, Walt Harris leaves for Stanford. If you could, can you give us a little bit of insight on what that was like to transition from him to Dave Wanstead? Yeah. So, you know, he, he didn't leave the team. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't something that he was, you know, he didn't, he, he, he didn't leave because he wanted to leave. So let's just leave it at that. Um, you know, co- I, I committed to coach Harris and I was somebody who I, you know, he was somebody that, that I wanted to resurrect the pit program on and, 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 you know, bring Pitt back to, you know, national prominence. So, you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a Walt choice. Um, and, and, the fact that 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 he left, um, you know, really kind of, you know, it, it, it hindered our progress as a team at that that you know that point in time. But as everyone knows, you know, athletics are you have to deal with adversity, and and Walt had to to, to move on, and uh, Coach Wani came in and and you know implemented a really good program. He was was a wonderful guy to play for. Um, I got a chance to, to play for Matt Cavanaugh, who was my, my offensive coordinator and quarterback coach who really helped um, accelerate my learning curve as a quarterback. And, and they, they did some really great things. But when, when you go through changes in the coaching uh, world and, and there's inconsistencies and you know, there's not stability, it's, it's tough. Um, and, and, you know, th- those two years, we were an average football team from a record standpoint. And, and, and Coach Wani had to get you know, his program in, in installed and you, you saw, I mean, they were, they were one fourth down away from going to a BCS game against Cincinnati. So, and then they, they let him go. So yeah. um, it's, it's just part of sports. You have to, nothing's fair in life and especially in sports. So we had to deal with that adversity. And unfortunately we, we were, we couldn't get past, you know, being an average football team, but we had some, some really good players and good coaches and they, they showed it. Uh, a couple years after um, after we left. What's that, if you could, what is that transition period like? I mean, you have Walt Harris, a guy who's doing a good job. He, take, he took you guys to a BCS game, and then he has to go, not by choice, and then they bring in Dave Wanstead. So what, what if you could give us some insight on that transition or maybe like that first meeting with Wanstead, and what was like the reaction around the locker room with you, and like what were your thoughts during that time? Well, obviously, I mean, you hate to lose, you know, a coach that you committed to and that you, you know, won the Big East and and were playing in a Fiesta Bowl and, you know, you hate to lose that. But as a player, I mean, Coach Wanstad is, is, you know, pretty much cemented in, in pit football history as well as a player and, you know, all the success he had as a coach. So, you know, we, we welcomed him. He's a pit guy. And, you know, it wasn't like anybody had animosity toward him, but when you – when you come in, you know, coaches have their vision and they need play, players to match their vision. And, and, you know, there were some things that, that he needed to, to, to write um, from a, from a vision 
standpoint, and he had to, to do it. it. It just took us two years to, um, you know, figure that out. I mean, it, it, you know, it comes with the type of offense and what type of defense and the type of players you want him to recruit. And if it doesn't match hand and glove, then, you know, you're going to have some challenges. And it wasn't his fault. He had to do what was best for the program, and we, we worked our tails off. We just couldn't get it going for him. So, you, you know, as a player, you always feel bad when you don't execute. Mm-hmm. for your coach and you don't win. So, you know, it's just, it's part of the gig, but Dave coach Wani was, was awesome. I mean, he, a guy that I still keep in t- contact with today and somebody who I have a, a ton of respect for, and um, he's a pit guy. So, you know, I, we just unfortunate that we couldn't get it done for both coaches that I played for. And that's just, yeah, more- just to piggyback off that Dave wants that thought Dave wants that always just seemed like a guy to me, whose players just love him. He was a high-energy guy, Pittsburgh guy, and I think he did some very good things for this program. So, Tyler Palco, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, Jordan, I, I, uh, you did a great job. Um, I, uh, I enjoyed being yeah, on. Yeah, it was great having you on. Thank you. Once again, thank you to Tyler for joining us. I really hope you guys all enjoyed that interview. It's just a, it's always great to have a former Pitt player on, especially one that has the status of Tyler. I mean, he's a great guy. Good, he was a great quarterback for Pitt and a great representative of the University of Pittsburgh. And it's just great to see that he, his Pitt pride is still intact in everything that he's doing today. So I said I was going to talk about this earlier in the episode. A big commitment on Tuesday for Jeff Cable and his staff, the commitment of four-star forward Will Jeffries. Um, Jeffries is a kid. Cable's been recruiting him for a while. He's been recruiting him for a very long time, ever since he took the job. He's been developing a relationship with Jeffries and his family. Pitt's been the presumed favorite for a while now. I mean, a lot of people knew, most people knew he was going to commit to Pitt. It was just a matter of when. Uh, The pandemic... I would say the pandemic helped Pitt in his recruitment. Pitt was really the only school he visited. All of his other finalists, such as Villanova, Virginia, Northwestern, to name a few, he had to conduct virtual visits with those schools. So he uh, wasn't able to actually go on campus and meet with those coaches and tour those facilities. That helped Pitt, but overall, I think he was pit downed either way. Um, he and his family, just a great relationship with Jeff Capel. And once again, we see when Jeff Cable landing these big time recruits, just the relationships is what he what he builds his recruitments on. Uh, John Hughley, Cable had a great relationship with him. Uh, Jalen Hutchifino, class of twenty twenty two, who committed in December, Cable had a great relationship with him and his family, and that just shows the kind of guy that Jeff Cable is. He's not gonna sugarcoat everything. He's not gonna tell them, "Oh yeah, you're gonna come here, you're gonna start." He's honest to the point. But he builds very good relationships with recruits. And that's, once again, we're seeing that with the commitment of Will Jeffries. Um, as a basketball player, Jeffries is tons of potential. He's still really young. He's not even 17 yet. Turned 17 in June, I believe. He's extremely versatile. He can guard really all five positions at 6'7", elite length. Um, very good athleticism. Can um good he uh has good hops and uh quick but he's still his skill set is still developing he's very good his handles improving he's very good court vision and he's he has in terms of shooting he's not um polished three-point shooter yet he's beginning to develop that part of his game but he's he's a very solid 
pull up and he's a very good finisher around the rim. Just he's just the type. He's one of those do it all forwards, and uh, I think he's going to be a very good player in the long run. He's only 16, so it's tons of time to develop into a better player. Um, in terms of in terms of contributing right away, I don't know. He's not going to come here and play 30 minutes a game. That's just not going to happen. I think he could carve out a role playing 10, 15 minutes per game next year. Um, uh, as a defensive presence, he can come in. He can rebound. Guard multiple positions, provides versatility, provides athleticism. And that's just been the common theme in uh, Jeff Cable's class is athleticism, along with uh, guys like length and athleticism also. Along with guys like Femi Odakale, Noah Collier, they're both guys who are versatile and can guard multiple positions and are athletic. So I think that's just the common theme we've seen with Jeff Cable. And I'm going to get into the whole class on another episode. But just to stay with Jeffries here, another thing about him is this is just a super impressive kid overall. He graduated high school with honors in only three years. He completed enough credits so he could graduate in three years, which as a high school student is extremely hard to do. And it's extremely impressive that he was able to do that. He graduated with a 4.0 GPA, a member of the, uh, a member of the National Honor Society. Uh, comes from a great family. Dad was a professor. His mom is a doctor. And I just think the type of family that he has, the parents, the support system they provided him from a young age, that just shows it just molded him to the type of kid he is. He's a high-character kid. He's a kid you want in your program. And that's huge for Jeff Capel to not just have a good player, but to have a good person too. A guy you know is not going to cause problems in the locker room. He'll be a good leader for the team and also provide he's also a very good basketball player to add to that so just a great pickup for Jeff Capel and his staff Will Jeffries a guy they were on for a long time and I'm sure they're very happy to get his commitment and Jeff Capel is very excited to have him on campus uh this fall hopefully if we have college basketball this fall Hopefully, we can get this all settled and we'll be playing college football and college basketball. And speaking of college football, I'm going to talk a little bit about Pat Narduzzi and his recruiting efforts. He's landed five commitments in the past week. We know of four, just to list them. Miles Alston, a wide receiver from Virginia. Jalen Bradley, a receiver from Maryland. Terrence Rankle a lineman from Ohio, and Trevion Stevenson, a linebacker from, once again, Virginia. And a fifth commitment that a Pat signal was put out earlier this morning, but I'm still trying to figure out who that commitment is. I have some ideas, which I'll share with you guys on Twitter, but I'm not positive on who the commitment is. Uh, There's one thing to highlight with these commitments is where they're from. You have Jalen Bradley from Maryland. Miles Alston from Virginia, and Rodney Hammond, the guy who committed this fall from Virginia, and also Trevian Stevenson, linebacker from Virginia. So out of Pitts, seven commitments so far. You have five from the DMV area, which is D.C., Maryland, Virginia. And there's really one reason for that, and his name's Chris Beattie. Chris Beattie, Pitt hired him. It's going to be his second full season on staff this season. Um, and he's just a, he's just an exceptional recruiter of the DMV area. He's the wide receivers coach doing a great job down there with the addition of Alston, Bradley, Stevenson, and Hammond earlier this fall. And I just think that highlights the type of staff that uh, Pat Narduzzi's putting together. 
he's put together a very good staff since he's been at Pitt. You have you have Chris Beattie, who's done a great job recruiting uh, the DMV area, as I've stated, and Charlie Partridge. Pitt doesn't have any commits from Florida yet, but we all know he's really good down in Florida, and his connections to Florida are unbelievable, and he's done a great job recruiting that state for Pat Narduzzi. And those two guys primarily have been great on their recruiting trail, and that just shows you Pat Narduzzi wants to keep him around, and the athletic department, they're committed. They're paying these guys, Partridge uh, and Beatty, they're paying them the big bucks to stick around, uh, recruit very well with the guys they've been getting. Some great, Pitt's had some great guys from Florida, some great guys from Virginia, and I think they're going to keep landing commitments from Florida and Virginia. Um, you got a very good local class, very good Pennsylvania class this year, but I still think the two other states you're going to see Pitt get the most commits from are going to be Florida and Virginia, and that's due to Chris Beatty and Charlie Partridge. So just highlight those two guys, their efforts on the recruiting trail. I think all the commits Pitt has landed overall are underrated. Um, Trevion Stevenson was the first one this week, a linebacker from Hampton, Virginia. He's only a, listed as a 5.42 star on rivals, but he had tons of uh, tons of power five offers with the likes of West Virginia, uh, Maryland, I believe, uh, Cal, Cincinnati, not a power five school, but Florida State, Georgia Tech, Miami, Michigan, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Penn State. That's that's a very good offer sheet, especially for a two-star prospect. That just shows you the level of talent Pat Narduzzi is bringing in. He he doesn't care what how many stars they have. He just cares that they're a good football player. And as shown by these other schools offering, they're getting a pretty good football player in Stevenson. Uh, the second commitment, Terrence Rankle, offensive lineman from Ohio. Still with... Not as good of, of an offer sheet as Stevenson, but still some legit Power 5 offers. He's got Purdue, Iowa State, Duke, Arizona State. Good offer sheet from Rankle. I mean, offensive lineman, huge position of need for Pitt. If offensive line out of all the positions, it's probably the one Patner Doozy staff and him have done the worst job recruiting, and Pitt needs to take some offensive linemen in this class. Because the offensive linemen they have are not exactly uh not exactly um the highest recruited, not exactly the offensive line hasn't been great overall. And the receivers, the two receivers, you've got Bradley and Al- Alston. Bradley from DeMatha, I believe. Yes, from DeMatha High School in uh Maryland. He's a big receiver. He's um six four, one ninety, good size. Reminds me a lot of current pit receiver Jared Wayne. His offer sheet is not – Pitt was one of three Power 5 offers. He has offers from Virginia and Wake Forest, but still a solid prospect who will fit well in um, uh, Mark Whipple's offense. That's Jalen Bradley. And lastly, Miles Alston, a very good pickup for, for Pitt and Pat Narduzzi. His offers also, they're not as impressive as Stevenson's. Still pretty good offer sheet. He's got offers from Virginia Tech, UVA. South Carolina, UNC, and Ole Miss, Maryland. So very solid offer sheet for for Alston. And that's really, that's the number one way you can judge a guy is are other schools offering him. Do other schools see the talent that Pat Narduzzi and his staff sees? And clearly with these four guys, they do. I mean, all these guys have pretty big time offer sheets. And that just shows you the quality of the talent 
that Narduzzi is bringing in for the class of 2021. And I think the class of 2020 was his best class yet. And I think the class of 2021 is going to be even better than the class of 2020. So just shows you Pat Narduzzi and his staff have been doing a great job recruiting. And they're going to continue to recruit hard even during the global pandemic. So that's all on the recruiting front for today. So thank you for joining the Athletics Pit podcast for today. Uh, we've got a ver- another very exciting guest next week. We're going to be joined by former Pitt tight end Doran Dickerson. So we're very excited to have Doran on next week. And we hope you listen in next week. And thank you for tuning in.